Welcome to The Freelancer's Friend, episode 11. I was doing it because I thought I needed a bigger audience in order to be successful. And I had this idea in my head that I couldn't somehow succeed or earn a good living with a small audience. If you want to enjoy a thriving freelance business, then learning from others with the knowledge and experience is invaluable. Our guest this time is Jonathan McLernan, an online nutrition coach, as well as mentor to new coaches building their business. And in this episode, we chat about why organic marketing can be enough for a freelancer to succeed, at least in the beginning, and what is the value of building a large audience and whether that's even necessary, and why the goal of a six-figure income that seems to be touted a lot by online gurus at the moment is overrated and other interesting and useful stuff. So let's get on with it. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much. Glad to be here. And uh, where are you calling from? Uh, I'm coming from Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. So um, huh. I don't imagine you have, it would be interesting if you had some listeners from Red Deer, but it's a relatively small town between uh, two larger cities here in Alberta. So It looks pretty nice behind you. <laughs> yeah, that's a backdrop of Venice, <laughs> um, which I did spend some time living in Italy um, a while back. But uh, yes, I'm not actually in Venice as much as I wouldn't mind being right now. Now you've got a, a very diverse background. <laughs> now you've you, you've been a nanotechnology research chemist, a yep. Navy Marine engineer, yep. a globetrotting nomad, having travelled forty five countries on five continents, <laughs> yep. a power line technician, and a nutrition and supplement store owner. Uh, and now you're an online nutrition coach, as well as mentor to new coaches building their business. Yeah. And no doubt supported by a degree you have in chemistry and marketing psychology. <laughs> yeah. uh, and something I wasn't expecting is that you've survived an attempted murder. Yeah. Uh, nearly being beaten to death in South Africa. Don't recommend that. It's not a lot of fun. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun, no. And as well as that, you you lost your life savings in a failed business venture. Yep. And you rebuilt yourself from the ground up. And both these are, are, are really fascinating and uh, I'd love to hear more about those definitely, but unfortunately, uh, we need to stick to the main topic today of organic uh, marketing. Well, yeah. uh, that's what I'd like to talk about anyway, uh, organic marketing, which you know a fair deal about, uh, and for freelancers in particular. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and there's, like, like I say, there's more to your story too, but for, for the sake of the listener, <laughs> let's just focus on uh, building a freelance business with organic marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I assume this is the main way you're growing your co coaching business at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Both the, the coaching and the mentorship is really done through organic marketing. And, you, you know, the question that maybe a lot of people ask, especially in 2021 is, is organic marketing dead? You know, because it seems like, uh, like social media is probably the biggest place where organic marketing takes place, although I am quite a fan of email as well. Uh, but it seems like um, there's often like this never ending battle for um, because of algorithmic changes and this and that and the next thing, um, along with, uh, it feels like perhaps the market is getting more and more saturated, especially in the, the post COVID economy. I mean, it's a funny phrase that we're using, but mm -hmm. more and more people are going online. And so, but part of the problem is, is when you enter a, a particular space, it will feel like, like social media will kind of push you into an echo chamber <laughs> and it will make it sound like, or, or seem like there's mm -hmm. billions of people doing what you're trying to do. Um, when that there, there's often like 
so many like I say, people look. I can find enough people that need my help in my city alone, <laughs> of a hundred thousand people, really. Um, but mm. it, the way that social media will, will make it seem is that like <laughs> everybody in your feed or every friend request is going to come from someone who's doing what you're doing, and it, it feels like there's just a relentless onslaught of competition. Um, when in fact that's that's not really the case. There's a lot of people out there that need help, and I don't think there's ever been a better time to to be like a solopreneur um, to tackle the gig economy. Um, and there are ways you can do it that, that actually work pretty effectively still um, without having to do paid traffic. And do you include any paid marketing methods in, in your own overall marketing these days? Uh, not currently. Um, I, I am going to move into it to a, a small degree. Um, and I, because I will say like there, there does come a certain point in, in business where um, you've, you've really tapped into a lot of the organic market that you're going to reach um, and gleaned as much as you can from that. And then a, you'll come to a certain point in business where you're, you feel like, okay, I've now the process of growing organically is just, it's starting to slow down and lose momentum. And I would say the other part of it is, you know, I've got a young son, three months old, and uh, mm -hmm. it takes quite a bit of time, quite a bit more time than I thought having a kid. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I know what you mean. I've been there. So the one thing to be aware of with organic marketing, especially if you're starting out or in the beginning, is it's going to take quite a bit of time input. So I say in business, you have, you pay for things in either time or money. And in the beginning, if, you, if you're a new business, you probably don't have a lot of money to spend on marketing, which means that you're going to invest your time in, in just like starting conversations, connecting with people, creating content, publishing content. Um, it's You're going to pay in, in, in time until you get to a point in your business or it makes sense to start buying buying back your time. Um, but I, I will say to people, like, it's tempting to, uh, to to want to invest in a lot of things right away because you might think that it's going to make the process easier. But, you know, when I look at my business from, from when I started to now and how much it's it's evolved, um, there's, there's actually some real value in the process of, like, hitting a lot of speed bumps all along the way and really sort of battle testing your business in a much smaller arena than to say that like, you know, I want to build like <laughs> the, the scalable six figure business in, in 12 mm -hmm. weeks or something like that. Like the sustainability of that just really isn't there. Mm -hmm. So it is possible to uh, build a freelance business with just a organic marketing alone. Yeah. And what I would say is like, if, if someone is just going to start out or has an idea and, and you say, okay, well, I, I, I want to get started on this. What do I want to do? I mean, the first thing you want to ask realistically is, I mean, it sounds awesome to say, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about butterflies. It's like, all right, cool. Um, it, is there a demand for what it is that you want to offer? Passion alone can't sustain a business. You, you do need to have a degree of passion for what you do, um, because if you don't, you're, you're gonna you're gonna quit when it, it gets hard. And here's the other thing about uh, say social media. I think a lot of people, especially in the sort of the, the business guru or influencer sphere, sort of want to portray things like life is always good or life is you know always perfect or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's like business mm -hmm. is actually pretty tough. Um, I I don't know the exact stats, but I. I believe it's in the neighborhood of 90 to 95% of businesses don't make it to five years. And in the co coaching sphere in particular, I think there's um, around a 50% turnover rate within the first 12 months. Right. Yeah. That's be believable. 
So it, it is difficult to make and But if you go into it with this expectation, like this understanding that, you know what, this is going to be a challenge. It, you don't get so discouraged when you hit some road bumps and think like, what's wrong with me or my business? Like nothing. <laughs> it's like learning any skill or developing, you know, you're not just going to dive into it and be a master of it. Like there is a, a growth process that you have to go through in in the process of building a sustainable long-term business. And, and really the point of, I think, being a solopreneur is to build what we call like a lifestyle business. Ultimately one that that you have more freedom around, not less freedom around. I think that's that's the big goal here. Yeah, and I say I see you feel like me that the the six figure goal is overrated. It seems to be all over the internet uh, at the moment in adverts and products from marketing gurus who who uh, in many cases are likely not to be making six figures themselves. It's just a, a thing that's bouted about around a lot. Uh, uh, why would you yeah. say why would you say that the six six figure goal is is overrated? for a couple of reasons. Um, and, and you're right. There isn't like, I'm to, to be clear, um, in case it isn't clear, I'm, I'm 39 years old. So, um, I've been around, around the block for a while. I've been in, in business and I've had multiple business ventures before, um, some unrelated online stuff. When some 22 year old kid reaches out and tells me that he's going to help me, you know, scale my business to six figures in 12 weeks or less. Mm -hmm. Um, here's what runs through my mind what you're potentially wanting to teach me is probably reasonably sound business theory, but you're 22 years old. Like what you're basically doing is probably ripping off an established business guru who's been around for a number of years and, and just basically trying to, you thought that it would be easier to be a business guru than it is to, you know, you couldn't hack it running your own business. And so you thought it'd be easier to try and be a business guru and, and so on. So, uh, that, that's, you kind of touched on that. There's a lot of so-called gurus out there who aren't necessarily making six figures. But the thing is, it's more difficult than people to realize, especially when starting out. So, and just to be clear, in case anyone is unclear, when we're talking about a six-figure business, we're talking about a business that produces over um, 100,000 per year in annual revenue. Uh, so in the UK, it'd be 100,000 pounds, or in the US, it's 100,000 dollars. It sounds Which nice, but it's a lot, a lot of money, really, uh, for the for the average person and the average needs or the average basic needs. Yeah, because so that's around eight eight point five k per month or eight thousand five hundred per month, and a lot of focuses say put on um, what we call ten k months or monthly revenue exceeding ten thousand. And I will say it's actually easier to have a ten k month than it is to have a hundred k year. And the difference there is what I would say that is the sustainability or viability of your offer. Y you can have like a good month, <laughs> and I think a lot of people again when they fudge the numbers, um, and they do a lot of what we'll call extrapolation. So I had a 10 K month, so I have a six figure business. Like, no, you don't. Um, cause here's, there's a big difference between recurring revenue, um, that you receive from people versus say lump sum payments and the time required to deliver the service. So just to, just to give you a picture, um, let's say that I'm selling a $2,000 coaching package. You think, okay, I have to sell five of those packages to have a 10 K month. But what people not, not realize is to deliver the service that, someone has paid me $2,000 for, it could take between three and six months. And so that $10,000 from five people represents each one of those people being that I'm working with them for between three and six months. So the recurring revenue on that is not $10,000 a month. It's, I've been paid in full a few times. So um, to, to give people some more numbers, just, and, and my realm is really the coaching sphere. Um, the average income for a coach is around 4.2, um, 
4K or 4,200 4, per month. So around 47 to 51,000 um, actually US dollars per year, which is not a bad income. I, I wouldn't know the conversion. I would expect it to be around 35,000 pounds per year um, in the UK. And so the, the, the guru in the mentorship space, they'd lead you to believe that, you know, everyone out there is crushing it, you know, nailing 10K months when that probably actually represents less than 5% of the coaching space. And when you see people talking about those numbers, there's very often factors, um, what I would call like lies of omission, not, not deliberate lies, but there's things that, that aren't being said. Oh, I was a coach in Los Angeles at a CrossFit gym with, uh, 500 members, so, yeah, um, I had access to uh, a giant audience or, you know, um, my dad is a Silicon Valley entrepreneur and I'm connected to a lot of people in Silicon Valley with a lot of money. This isn't to, to um, denigrate anybody's efforts, but there's often mitigating factors that don't get told in the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is all maybe part of the dark side of the mentoring and guru industry that I've seen <laughs> you mention. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, and I wonder what, you know, because social media, the way that like the algorithms seem to work is they, they push obviously the stuff that's going to get the most emotive response from people because, you know, in, in social media, you're, you're playing a role in what we call the attention economy. Um, your time, your attention is what, what's, um, being traded the commodity really. And so everybody seems to want to try to put their best foot forward and, and maybe they feel a sense of pressure. Like if I'm going to be a coach, I have to show my potential clients that I'm uber successful in order for them to want to work with me. And I'm like, it's, it's not true. <laughs> Your clients don't care, uh, about the, um, you know, 10 K months or things like that in the simplest form business exists for one reason. That's to solve a problem and to solve it better than somebody else can, can do. And to solve it better doesn't mean you have to reinvent the wheel. It just means that for the person or the, the, the clientele that you want to work with, you want to be the best solution for them. And so, um, again, like the guru mentorship industry wants people to lead people to believe that in 12 weeks or less, they have people absolutely crushing it. But the thing is, is starting out your offers new, it really hasn't been battle tested. The market It's going to evolve over time. And like, I've seen people start out like lightning in a bottle, but mm. Once you get past sort of what I would say, like the first layer of your audience, the people who are maybe eager um, buyers who are going to buy anyways, things dramatically slow down. But maybe we could say, you mentioned the dark side, maybe I'll put it this way. I think sometimes people get this idea that um, like seemingly wealthy people are happy to hand over big sums of money, like they're somehow stupid or don't care. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm going to go into LinkedIn and find all these super rich business people and charge them a super high price. And it's like people who have money didn't get that way by being careless with money. The other thing is they expect an ROI. If someone's going to invest, you know, a few thousand dollars, doesn't matter if it's, you know, quote unquote pocket change for them, mm -hmm. they expect an ROI of equivalent or greater value. So if you're going to charge a premium price for a service you deliver, you have to be prepared to deliver, you know, equivalent or greater value because that's what business is. It's an exchange of value and money is just the medium. Mm. Yeah. I think uh, most people, I imagine most people would be able to see through it any anyway uh, whether they're already successful or not it's uh, it's pretty self-evident I would imagine but sadly I'm guessing that some people do fall for it and get who are maybe not had a business before or just uh, starting out and it's a shame but it's it's a uh, part of the internet I suppose that, that, that there are a lot of dodgy things going on 
Yeah, that sort of leads into this thought about um, why it is that people want to hit, say, the 10K months, for example. And I think two reasons come to mind for me. Number one, I would say is kind of like ego or validation. So the message out there, especially again from the guru space, is that once you've hit 10K months that you've quote unquote made it. And I would say perhaps the the opposite perspective of that is true for a lot of coaches or, or freelancers as well. They feel like if they're not doing that, if you're not hitting 10K months, that somehow you're less of a coach and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, I remember when I, when I hired a world-class coach and I found out the price that they were charging, I was blown away. I expected to be double or triple what they were charging at the time. Um, and maybe that would tie into the the second reason, which I think is really and why we even want to build a freedom lifestyle business, happiness. So right now, I would say that there's mountains of proof out there that essentially what we call the utility of money, the usefulness of money, dramatically drops off past about you know say eighty thousand dollars a year. And so a lot of people are sort of placing their happiness in the future. I'll be happy when, when it, in fact, you know, when when you have that first ten k month. And after the initial high wears off in a day or two, I think the realization strikes it just like it wasn't everything they thought it would be. <laughs> like life just carries on. There's the same challenges, the same struggles. And absolutely. so for me in business, it, it became a lot more about freedom than income. Mm-hmm. So I'd put it this way. If I could make, say, seventy or $80,000 a year working 25 hours a week, that's amazing. And it's a lot less work or hustle than it is to constantly try to get over this arbitrary 10K mark. And I would say that's that's kind of what I would teach in my my courses, my mentorship, that it's more than hitting arbitrary income goals. It's really about creating like a lean and efficient business that doesn't that doesn't own you mm. because that's really why you want to want to craft an online business, mm-hmm. um, something that can be run on. And, and again, in saying that, like, I don't want to make it sound like um, I, I was able to right, right away run my business on, you know, 25 or 30 hours a week. And I, mostly I'm referring to at this point, my nutrition coaching business, which I run on typically less than about 20 hours a week. Um, but it wasn't always like that. <laughs> it took time to get to that. It took time to sort of build momentum. Mm. You know, I've, I've been coaching online since 2015 as a nutrition coach. And so that's another thing that people tend to miss is, I'm not saying it's going to take six years to get to this level. Like, um, but I have like an established audience. I have a following. Um, I have people that have been consuming my content for a number of times, you know, so I have kind of a, um, an audience that's that's really been primed whereas starting out again it really just takes time to get to that place and and you have to be willing to to put in the work to get there so if you started again today knowing what you know now (laughs) would you do anything differently i'm guessing that you would still uh, use organic marketing as as a preference to spending money or too much money on marketing Yeah. Um, and like, that's, that's like a really good question. What, what would I do differently? And you know, the truth is not a lot. Like, I think again, when it comes to like building a business, we make it more complicated than it needs to be. And so, uh, you know, I could probably summarize it maybe like, let's say four steps. Um, cause okay. So you're starting all over again. How, how would you do it? And you know, I'd actually start with like just an idea and I'd be publicly transparent about it, which is really interesting. A lot of people seem to want to, I, I don't know. It's like they want to hide what they're doing or they don't want to, they want to talk about the fact they're in business to make money. I'm like, this is the reason why business exists. You you don't need to be ashamed. Like if you deliver a valuable service that genuinely helps people, you don't need to be ashamed of the fact that you do this for money and this is how you make your living. 
And so I think starting out in business is daunting for a lot of people because one of the pressures they feel is that they don't want to, you know, say spam their friends on social media. But here's the thing. Spamming is only called spam because it's, you know, you're putting stuff in front of people that's not helpful, useful, or interesting. Nobody wants to consume it. And so I would, I would summarize in like four, four steps. Um, and, and, you know, you'd have to adapt these depending on sort of the, the industry that you're in, in terms of freelancing. But, um, first thing I would say for myself is practice what you preach. You know, that's really relevant for me, especially in the nutrition coaching space. Um, and in others, other spaces, maybe I would say it's, it's live what you teach or be genuinely passionate about what you do. Um, you don't want to sound like, you know, I don't know if you have them in the UK, those late night infomercials where someone's, you know, selling a set of four steak knives and act today. And, you know, we're going to throw in a bonus four set of steak knives, but wait, there's more. No, you, you want to, you want to be authentically passionate about what you do. And, and maybe, maybe you do something that's not so exciting. So maybe you're not excited about the nuts and bolts of what it is that you do, but you're excited about the value that you deliver and the way that you're able to genuinely help people. Um, that kind of energy is in, in, infectious. And so then it comes to, uh, creating content. Well, create content that genuinely helps people with regards to whatever it is, the problem that you solve. <clears throat> and uh, cause I say to people, look, we live in the age of Google. It's very unlikely that you're going to share a piece of information that someone couldn't find for free on Google. That, uh, you, you know, if you go back a few years, it was about like, Hey, on my super secret, ultra private email subscriber list, you'll get, you know, stuff that you won't find anywhere else. Mm. Like <laughs> you can find anywhere on the internet now. So you go, well, how do, what, what do you do in this case? And it's really like, I'll, I'll use again, my nutrition coaching business as an example. I, I incorporate a lot of my own personal story, my own personal voice, personal values and messaging into the content I write because people, um, people buy on emotion, they justify and logic, but they really buy on emotion. And, you know, I teach a content strategy that I call ACE or which is authority connection engagement. Um, because people want to buy from other human beings. There's this kind of, there's kind of this hunger out there to, to really connect with other human beings where there's a, a backstory behind it as well. And so the types of content you want to produce, one, one is authority and authority in a nutshell is essentially just demonstrating that you, know what you're talking you are about. an expert. Yeah, exactly. Connection is really about, um, again, here's an example I might show. I actually don't post photos of my son online. Um, I'm really, but I might show photos of myself and my wife, for example, um, doing something interesting, like hiking in the mountains. We love you know, the beautiful Rocky mountains here. Well, that's just getting people connected to me, the human being and my, my sort of backstory. Um, and then engagement content is a little bit of gaming the algorithm to a degree. It's just getting people engaged with your profile. So you might post, um, a question like, does pineapple belong in pizza? You know, that's a classic one where what you're doing is you're just encouraging people to engage with your profile and it just increases the likelihood that people are going to see some other stuff that you put, you put out there because if, pardon me, if you, if, if all you do is put out, say authority content you might be putting out like the best content, but it's typically going to see less engagement. And so over time, what's going to happen is, is you're going to see less and less people engaging with your profile. So when you mix it up, when you, because in business, again, you do bring a lot of yourself into it because that people want that human element. And so, um, you do, you do want to sort of mix it up so people aren't only hearing that. But the flip side of that is people see ads for like McDonald's or, you know, junk food or whatever every single day. So you, you don't want to be afraid to tell people what you do. If you don't, if you can't tell people what it is that you do, how's anyone going to find out? And so that's kind of what I would say in terms of sharing free help. Then I would say like ask for beta test clients. 
And it'd be super, again, be super transparent about this to your audience. Yeah. I would tell people exactly what I'm doing, why I'm asking for beta testers. Authenticity again. And yeah, yeah. And, and I would say like, there's, you know, I'm offering a discount and here's why. <clears throat> it's not because there's less value. It's because this is about an exchange of value. That is, I'm refining a new process and I want honest feedback. And then I, I want a testimonial if the client has a good experience. Because um, like test clients really they're powerful in a sense that they help us to smooth out our systems, work out the kinks, figuring out what works and what doesn't. <clears throat> and I would say, remember, it's okay to be a beginner. And when someone is a beta test client, you know that, okay, that takes some of the pressure off. They know they're joining, knowing the service isn't going to be perfect, that there is going to be some feedback. It doesn't change the fact that you're an expert and able to help people. <clears throat> And then uh, I would say the fourth step is, is really, then you want to share some success stories. So in the beginning, your success story might be your own. Um, maybe it's about a friend you helped for free, or you've had a couple of beta testers and depending on the industry, like it's not necessarily going to be like a before after photo. That's a common one, say in the, the weight loss industry, but, um, it can be just about, um, somebody talking about how they've helped, how you've helped them. Um, and so if you're going to run a beta test program, essentially you're looking for three things from them. And in terms of, if you, especially if you want to get like a testimonial, how did this program help you? Um, what would you say to someone who's considering joining this program or um, using this service? And then what did they enjoy the most about working with you or being in that, that program? You know, so, so really they're just sharing why they had a good experience and why they would recommend you to somebody else. That's definitely else. good when you ask for a testimonial or feedback to have a kind of structured kind of way for them to reply so that it's not just a, yeah, great, I loved it. There's a, a lot of emphasis or from gurus, etc., on how you should be aiming for a lot more money than you probably actually need. There's also a lot of emphasis especially from social platforms on building a large yeah. audience and um, which makes sense but uh, how valuable would you say is it it is to have a big audience you know i'm inclined to like okay and i'll say it depends on the service that you provide and whether it's like a one-time or a recurring service um and and sort of the value of it can it be helpful yes if you have a, a basically a simple standalone offer that your audience can purchase, um, then maybe a larger audience is more beneficial. But the flip side of that is if you have sort of a recurring service-based business, it can be extremely difficult to build a sense of community within your audience. And I'll say like, I remember like I was working my tail off trying to grow my audience. I was spending hours a day on social media, trying to research the right hashtags, comment on all the influencers content, you know, make sure I click like. I'm sure so the listener can relate to and that. And it's not to say that these active. Yeah. And it's not to say these activities don't have merit, but I was doing it because I thought I needed a bigger audience in order to be successful. And I had this idea in my head that I couldn't somehow succeed or earn a good living with a small audience. And, you know, I, I was able to go fully online with like less than 700 friends, friends on Facebook and less than 3000 followers on Instagram and less than a thousand followers on Twitter. <clears throat> so what I would say is that a small audience when nurtured can actually become quite a highly engaged and intimate community. It It's easier to build um, connections and relationships with a smaller audience um, because you can interact with more members of your audience on an individual level. And so 
what would be, I think, more helpful in a large audience is to get pretty specific with regards to the niche. Um, and it feels like such a cliched word, mm. you know, um, but really the slice of the market that you serve, who you serve. And the more, the more targeted your messaging can be, which is, can be really scary in the beginning, starting out. And, and maybe I'll touch on a little bit here about specificity in a moment, but what I would say is rather than focusing on vanity metrics, like followers and likes, you're better off focusing on growing a, I would say a more intimate or a deeper connection with your audience. Because remember people buy an emotion and then they justify in logic. You want people to be connected to you, the individual, um, because if you have two people offering the same service and one of them, like they feel warm and fuzzy about your story and who you are, they feel like you're a good human being. They're a lot more likely to choose you. And I think this would go back to just saying you want to have real clarity on what it is that you do and then have the confidence to communicate that effectively. Hmm. But even saying that uh, we need to grow our audience to some extent. Um, and this is true. I see that you know some ways to grow your audience with without social media. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, this is actually one one great way to do that, which is uh, being a guest on mm -hmm. others' podcasts and sharing a bit about what you do. Um, and that's something that can be done um, for free other than obviously the investment of your time. But I think here's something that gets very often overlooked in the world of online. We forget about being like, we're so very often it's so glamorized, I should say, the idea of, you know, have international clients. Mm-hmm. So what? <laughs> yeah, other clients don't care. You know, there, like I said, there's enough business in my city of 100,000 people, and I have two cities an hour, hour and a half away that are about a million people. So within two hours drive of me, geographically speaking, which I mean, Canada, two hours drive is no big deal. We don't end up in another country. Um, within two hours drive, I have like two, two and a half million people. There's no way probably in my lifetime that I could serve two and a half million people. And that's not to say everyone in there is, is, is an ideal client. But the point I'm making is you can become a local expert. And I think people forget about that. So pre COVID I would do seminars. So I would go to gyms and say, Hey, you know, um, do you want me to just give this seminar on your audience to your, your client base to help them get better results in the business that you're doing? Um, I would look for complimentary healthcare providers. Uh, in my community and say, Hey, if your clients express, you know, challenges with this, you know, point them in my direction and we, we'd establish a relationship. Um, I would go to say clinicians and say, Hey, can I put these materials in your, your waiting room? <laughs> you know, it's such simple things that we often, we don't think about where, but it's really about becoming a local expert. If you've got a local publication, um, don't underestimate that Say, Hey, could I write a column for you? They're always looking for reasons to get people to read their content. So go to this local publication and be like, Hey, could I write a, a weekly column for you? You know? So it's, it's thinking outside the bubble of Facebook, Instagram, um, YouTube, Twitter, um, TikTok, and so on to become that, that local expert in, in what it is you do. Of course, um, you could also join business networking communities. There's real value to, again, because of people, people buy from people they know, like, and trust. Well, you're going to know, like, and trust somebody that you meet, met in a human form more so than, than, than a random ad on the internet. And so it's, 
is there opportunities in your local community or your surrounding area to really establish yourself as an expert in the service that you provide? People are far more likely to choose you than some random guy, you know, three continents away who's looking to glamorize. I'm an international business person. Yeah, very true. It makes a lot of sense. And I can see how a lot of people can easily lose sight of the fact that there are lots of people on the doorstep who, who you can connect with in a more human way, even such as, like you say, networking, local networking, that kind of thing. It's definitely uh, worth remembering. Yeah, absolutely. It's look, that's an old phrase from like, there's gold in them, there hills. You know, it's a phrase, you know, the, the gold rush. There, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of gold um, that just gets overlooked because, and there's, maybe we could say the flip side of that, if people know anything about a gold rush, there was this stuff called mm -hmm. fool's gold. And, you know, it glittered. <laughs> there's a phrase, who sings that? Maybe it's by Smash Mouth. It's all that glitters isn't gold or something like that. Um, but the point being, if we get caught up in sort of what we call vanity metrics, whether that's likes, followers, um, being quote unquote international or things like that. This is not what your client cares about. Your client cares about, can you solve my problem? Can you help me? And if you can, and I have, I've, I'm, let's say if the problem solves a big enough problem, I'm willing to pay good money for that. That's what it boils down to. And so we want to, especially starting out, you want to ditch this idea of vanity metrics and really get connected to what is the problem I solve? Who do I help? How do I help them? How do I make their lives better? Because mm. that's, that's really the heart Definitely. of business. Good stuff. Um, you also advise people on productivity and staying productive is vital when yeah. it comes to organic marketing. So uh, what are your main tips for better productivity? The online world can be a very distracting place because virtually anything you want to access is at your fingertips. Um, so I do little things like, um, I have a newsfeed blocker on my browser. So it blocks all the news feeds of any major social media networks, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and so on. And I have another one called DF tube or distraction free YouTube is essentially what that stands for. So that if I go to watch something on YouTube, they don't necessarily show me all the next mm. recommended videos. Sounds good. Um, so just recognizing, and there's a really fabulous book um, by Cal Newport called um, Digital Minimalism. And I think anybody who runs an online business should read this book, Digital Minimalism. Really, really powerful. Because the other thing to think about is, so we live in the attention economy. People are competing for our attention and we're really fracturing um, our attention into like microseconds, you know, what we don't think about as business people is how that actually affects our brain and our creativity and our problem solving and the ability to think deeply. And so if you can develop the skill of critical thinking and spending time without being distracted, you will have a significant advantage over other people in business because like the actual physical structure in your brain is different. So, um, but if I was going to, let's say, just give three key takeaways, um, Number one, I would say stop looking for shortcuts to the hard and uncomfortable work. Hard and uncomfortable work. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you're going to need to do that, that maybe feels boring, repetitive. Um, it's not glamorous. And because of that, we often will waste time with what I call like busy work. It's, it's stuff that it feels like you're doing something to help your business but you're totally not. <laughs> you're just wasting time. It doesn't really, because remember, there's really like only two sort of core activities. Um, there's, there's either re revenue generating activities 
things that help your business or there's just like time consuming activities. And so that would, I would say point number two is, is become ruthless with your time management because you have a limited number of productive hours in the day. It's, you know, you think you wake up in the morning and you feel like you have a clean slate here. All oh, right. I've got, you know, eight hours or 10 hours or 12, whatever to do all this work. Probably a third of those or a quarter of those are actually going to be productive hours. And so you, you want to be ruthless in terms of your time management because maybe people like it's not to be a slave to a schedule, but time management is really about creating headspace. Um, this activity is on my calendar. So I don't have to think about it and worry about it all the time that I'm not doing it because I know I've already allocated time for that. So when it comes to that time, I'm going to do it and understand, of course, in the real world, you're not going to stick to your calendar perfectly, but if you have some structure around how you're going to spend your time, you know what the most important activities are that you could be spending time on and you make sure you prioritize those in your calendar. That's, that's what gives you so much mental freedom instead of trying to remember everything or having like these scattered to-do lists and stuff like that. Then when you go to do a task, what you're doing is you're focusing on a singular task at hand. This is, and then you're going to do it more effectively. And so point one, as it was like, stop looking for the shortcuts. There's unglamorous work you're going to have to do. <laughs> there just is. Um, number two is to be ruthless with your time management. The third one I would say is to cut down on unnecessary complexity. So starting out, there's often a temptation to, uh, make things flashier or, you know, use the newest, latest, greatest software. And it's like, no, no, no. You want to take a minimalist approach to setting up your business because you want this business to run like in a lean and efficient fashion. And you only want to add in a degree of complexity when it will help you accomplish more in the same amount of time. And so it's again, almost you want to get ruthless about how your business operates because what we miss is when we introduce complexity into our business, it creates the opportunity for things to break down and potentially slow you down when you really only need a few key things to, mm. to run a, a successful business, especially mm. as a solopreneur. Mm, excellent. Makes perfect sense. Uh, so uh, before we keep, begin to wrap up, uh, is there anything else that you might want to mention about uh, organic marketing in particular? Here's what I'd say because I keep in mind the sustainability and long-term nature of people's business. If you want to have a business that you can keep doing for years to come, you definitely need to have the ability to disconnect. <laughs> you know, when you, when you let's say work a traditional nine to five type job, there's the possibility of kind of shutting off when you get home because your work is done for the day and you can't earn more money by worrying about your job at home. But in the online space, there's always the potential to earn money and it can feel really difficult to shut off. And so, especially in the early stages when you're like, I need money and so on. And the opportunity to, to market organically is basically endless, infinite. You could market 24 hours a day. You'd obviously burn out and get exhausted. And so this isn't exactly a tip about organic marketing, but it's about building a sustainable practice. So you want to put time in your calendar. This is the time that I'm going to be doing organic outreach, connecting with potential followers and leads. This is the time I'm going to be writing content and really outside that window, be okay with not doing it when it feels like, ah, oh, I could be doing this. I need, and so on. Be okay with stepping away mm. is, is what I would say in terms of organic marketing. Mm. Otherwise you will burn out. Great stuff. Uh, and there's one more question, but before that, uh, where can people find out more about uh, your services, your coaching and, uh, 
the funny thing is, um, I'm actually just building out a website for the mentorship part of what it is that I do. So it's not actually live. Um, I've been mentoring for 18 months. Um, but I never talked about it publicly. Mm. It was all word of mouth. Um, so you can, you know, I, I even wrote a book that I will be publishing. It's called the 28 day coach, how to build and launch an online business yeah. in, in 28 days. Um, but as the time of, at the time of recording this, it's not yet live. It'll be another week or two before it's live. But, um, you can find me actually you can friend me on Facebook, for example, I'm just Jonathan McLernan. Um, but, uh, I do have a, I do have a vanity link, um, that will lead to where you can purchase the book and it's called, um, lean and efficient. So, uh, no spaces, lean and efficient dot business forward slash 28 dash day dash coach. Okay. And, uh, so that'll, that'll lead to the, the book and it's really, um, the sales page for the book where I'll explain like exactly what I wrote in this book and why I want you to buy it and why I think it's going to help you. Um, it's, um, that's probably the easiest place to find me. And, um, uh, these links will be posted in the show notes because it's probably easier than trying to spell it, but coach John at John McLernan.com and John is spelled J O N. There's no H there. Great stuff. And, uh, and this final question is something I ask every guest. Now, what's the one most important thing to do or be for freelancing success? Man, that's, that's a really good question. Authentic, genuine, Authentic. sincere. Hmm. Be who you are. And it sounds so like cliche or esoteric when you say something like that, but, mm. um, you don't have to be something else to be successful. Who you are, the unique individual that you are <laughs> is enough to help somebody and to help a lot of people and to be successful. So don't, don't fall into the trap of feeling the pressure to try to present more than you are on social media. All you're doing is setting yourself up for struggles when you try to deliver on something that you're not be who you are and stand in the confidence of your own worth and value brilliant okay thanks again for joining us jonathan it's been a real pleasure definitely thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure sharing with you as well